I, I grew up not that guy. So a lot of people put a title on me. They want to, uh, they see me now. They see me now as the guy that with his shirt off who can do 4,000, 30 pull-ups in 17 hours, who can run 205 miles in 39 hours, who can do all this crazy shit. But what they don't understand is they don't understand the journey that it took me to get to this point. And what got me to this point was I was just the opposite of what I am today. I was that guy who ran away from absolutely everything that I got in front of me. I had two people. Like the real me was like this very scared, insecure, stuttering, got beat up by his dad, all this kind of stuff. And I, I built this fake person that walked around like my shit didn't stink. And I, through the process of time, I realized that I was lying to myself and lying to people. Despite the childhood trauma he experienced, Goggin refused to let it define him or limit his potential. He used his experience as fuel to push himself harder and overcome obstacles that many people would consider insurmountable. His story serves as a powerful reminder of the importance of resilience and perseverance in the face of adversity. It also underscores the need for greater awareness and understanding of the impact that childhood trauma can have on individuals and society as a whole. Moreover, his story highlights the power of self-reflection personal growth in overcoming the negative effects of childhood trauma. By facing his past head on and embracing a growth mindset, Goggins was able to transform his pain into a source of strength and inspiration. The Bruz Bookshelf presents to you David Goggins' New York Times bestseller, Can't Hurt Me, Master Your Mind and Defy the Odds. Give it up. Welcome to another podcast episode of the Bros Bookshelf with your host, Lennon Givens, where we let the content of the book drive the discussion. I'm joined by my beautiful wife, Dr. Teresa Givens. Hey, feels like deja vu. From the Gullah Geechee Islands in South Carolina, my line brother, Mr. Donovan Snipe. What's happening, Briss? We here for real this time, no flam. And we here with the smooth, silky, baritone voice of Dr. Harvey Hinton the Third. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you why I chose this book. It's a book about life. It's a book about the hardships of life. So um, I picked this book. I read it before in the past, but, you know, this is the second time around I read this book and I still enjoy it. Um, it's a coming of age story that, you know, we've we, we read several stories about brothers that grew up um, in the 80s that were born in the late 70s. And, um, his story, he had a lot of similar themes to to anyone who grew up in that time period. Um, but he's in Indiana and dealing with that foolishness of living in Indiana. And, um, you know, I don't know, man. Like, I'm trying to really get a handle on 
I'm trying to I'm trying to get a handle on like like what what was his crossroad like what what brought him to that moment where he had to make a decision to do something different like 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 he had done so many things wrong I don't know that that's always the case I think that he was not very clear and and maybe in his thinking uh, it was not as important maybe maybe he downplayed the um, genesis of where this came from a great deal because for me I don't know and maybe I am just like a hard person (laughs) and sometimes I have to wonder I'm like am I like that bad but eh, his childhood didn't seem that bad to me Um, (laughs) so again it could have been downplayed you know he could have downplayed that I mean the 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 falsehood of living in this nice neighborhood, but you know working all night at the skating rink and you know falling asleep during the day, maybe he downplayed the story. Um, but even if he didn't, it affected him in a way. And my favorite phrase in life is "your perception is your reality." So. It, w- it took a toll on him. And the way he described his father, maybe he was a lot more abusive and he left out some of the details, you know, that, I mean, that made that, him that's as That's a horrible abusive. relationship. That's a horrible relationship. But he was pretty yeah. abusive. That's what he enjoyed with his father. I mean, I mean, my dad beat the shit out of me when I was growing up and um, beat the shit out of me, beat the shit out, you know, out of my mom. There was an incident one time when my mom got knocked out on top of the stairs and they drug her down the stairs by her hair. Okay. Well, yeah, again, abuse again, unreasonable abuse. Again, yeah. obviously, I've been in some rough situations. I'm, I'm obviously not a delicate flower because, I mean, I, I see people like that all the time and I just... I don't know. People just get used to it. You know how he is. You know that he crazy. Well, he beat the boy ass because his, his wheel. Hit. I, I've seen that before. I've lived that before. Some people that? are just extreme like that. I told you don't go in the street. So a millimeter or into the street is going into the street. And I've you know seen what? people get their behinds you know whooped for less. You know what? What? Maybe he got some of his extreme behavior. I'm his dad. I've said that. And so not necessarily, but, you know, all of that that came together. I mean, I've said that because we've talked quite a bit about this and we have gone over it. But in that, not necessarily that part, but the effect that it had on him, because his perception is his reality, created this person who eventually had to continually punish themselves in a way to get through where they were going and what they were doing. But was he, he didn't begin the self punishment until later on in life. Well, as soon as he made his turn, as soon as he decided that this 
is not who I want to be. As soon as he decided, I am no longer going to take this. And he was, he said, I won't, I don't want to be a statistic. You know, he was, he's one of the titles of the chapter was, I should have been a statistic. So whenever the light bulb went off into his head, it immediately was extreme. His very first thought was to be extreme because he wanted, he had to go from 300 pounds to 170, whatever that was within like a month. The impossible task. So, you know, that was was nuts. It began extreme and it stayed extreme until the end. I mean, I think going back to to his father real quick, I think that, you know, there's a there's a healthy fear that that kids might should have for their parents. And once that fear kind of wears off, then that person can go into some 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 areas that, that, that may not be normal to other people. And I think that that abuse that he experienced, it definitely um, pushed him into that space. Yeah, I I think that um, seeing what he saw and uh, that kind of put him in a position of powerlessness and being, you know, his watching his older brother kind of take on the same attributes as the dad. And, you know, it, it, it did something to him in a way. And of course it made him attached to his mother. So, you know, I see so many different themes in this that, I mean, they're just not healthy, but, um, I don't want to take away from what worked for him. And I definitely don't want to take away from all of those accomplishments because we definitely need people who are willing to put their lives on the line for those types of things. Um, But when I look at his journey, it wasn't the seal. Yeah, man, he could give a shit about protecting America, man. He wanted, you know what I mean? Exactly, he didn't really want to go to war. He could give a damn about being a good soldier. He did want to go to war. Well, but he talked about, he wanted to go to war. Because it sounded cool. And he talks about it in so many different ways. But he because he was an extremist, he he wanted to get out there and do those things. But um, the bureaucracy uh, wouldn't allow him to. And th- that's part of kind of what pissed him off. Um, yeah, he didn't his, really care about killing people. His that's not his relationship thing. with the armed services became a, you know, a sense of contention for him. He started to, you know, be at odds with the status quo per se. And then he went, you know, had to be a ranger and some other things because the Navy was not allowing him to go off and do those types of missions that he always saw himself doing. Do you think ultimately all of these challenges is a way like compensating to make himself feel like worthy of something? Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like, you know, as humans, you know, psychologically, we are always trying to fill voids and uh, get into a place of something that we missed or, you know, we're constantly fighting these traumas and, you know, we, we sometimes get lost in them because, you know, he was killing himself. Literally. And that's and that's what I, and that's why I was asking earlier, Teresa, like the idea of him him killing himself 
when he saw himself as 300 pounds being an exterminator, that to him was him killing himself. And it everything was, else he may have done was to prevent that person from being his 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 end, you know? Absolutely. But I think that as humans, we kind of do that sometimes. We will overcompensate and we'll say, oh, I don't want to die, um, you know, and I never lived. But then you go out here and overlive and kill yourself that way. You know, death is still death. <laughs> but He's still I mean, here, though. That is absolutely yeah, true. That point. And he made some... Like, death is death. Death is death and like it's going to come to you. So I guess his philosophy could then be said to be like, well, why not just see what you can do to push the limit until death catch up with your ass? No, I don't think that was the case at all. Well, I also, I mean, because I, I also feel that he started to make some amends in his personal life and psychologically he was able to come, I won't say full circle, but, you know, in the relationship with his mom and then he rekindled the relationship with his brother and he started to take care of his body. He started to realize that all of the punishment that he was putting his body through, he had to give give his body more rest and stretching and all of that other holistic stuff. He was, you know, doing that extreme stuff. Nothing comes from being extreme in either way, extreme lazy or extreme athleticism. A healthy moderation is the best way to do anything. Let's, let's slow it down right quick. Let's not glaze over his childhood trauma. I mean, it started with the abuse with his dad. Then there was his stepfather after his mom escaped his dad's wrath, went to Brazil. Then he started experiencing being the only black child and racism. His mom started getting her life back together. She found a new guy who loved him, poured time into him, was gentle with him. Then he ended up getting gunned down and he was young. Then he sees a child get squashed to death by a bus. So he was dealing with a lot of stuff. So the way he started dealing with his pain and trauma was... And we're talking about Brazil, Indiana. He wasn't really dealing with his pain. and He was trying to live through it, but it kept haunting him and then it altered who he was and then he tried to lose himself into basketball so let's just start right there real quick okay. when you put those traumas in in place the way you just did it's not even about him making bad decisions right it's not about him being off course or any of that it's about all those things that you just said and there's no space to deal with that man some people harvey deal with probably one of those things in their lifetime. By the time he was 12, he's dealt with like three big things. And that's the point of By the time too. he was 12 years that's, old. That's what you mean. Four, right? You know, actually four. Let's talk about the relocation and the culture. Yeah, side. and then the poverty. No family, uh, the, you know, just The poverty in and of itself is a different type of trauma all by itself. Coupled with a learning disability. So he had all these things stacked against him. So imagine how he felt when he was trying to like, who am I? What is my purpose? 
you know how you go through that phase in your life when you're trying to figure out what is your purpose in life? Why are you here? I mean, I mean, the harsh, the harsh, the harsh, harsh, harsh reality that there's really no one there to save. The only way I could find myself was to put myself through the worst thing possible. One time this this person drew a picture of me and you know said, we're gonna kill you nigger on my Spanish notebook. And I took it to my principal. And my principal said, they spelled nigger Niger. That was the best advice he can give me. So long story short, what I realized was no one was here to help me. And the feeling I had every morning, I started shaving my head when I was 16 years old. And the feeling I had every morning, I looked in the mirror, was horrible. And I didn't want to feel like that anymore. And how I felt was a, a kid going nowhere, a kid that was scared. And most kids will accept that and look for help. But the best thing that happened to me, no one helped me. No one felt sorry for me. I had to figure out I wasn't going to be a punk kid all my life. So the only way I could turn it around was to suffer. I had to build calluses in my brain the same way I built calluses on my hands. Like it's just you in the world all the time, all the time. It's just you in the world, and you're going to be associated with people. You're going to be surrounded by people who may not always act on your behalf. And in his case, he was around people who caused him harm, who intentionally, you know, mistreated him, and all that kind of stuff. In addition to this notion that then again, it's still just you into the world. And I think that was like, you know. In the book, especially with the Audible book, you get this all this bravado and you get this Roger that and you get this, you know, talk, this this the whole book. First of all, let me say I hated that portion of the audio book. Like <laughs> the Roger that yeah, all of that. You I, know, <laughs> it makes you for me, it almost made me not want to get into it. I mean, what the hell is this shit? Man, I don't want to hear this shit. That's how I started off this book, Teresa. Like, I don't want to hear this shit, you know? Um, because it's like as much as I understand in his story, like I wasn't understanding where he was coming from at first. Man, you know, that shit like, who, saved his life. Oh, it damn sure did. But it, but 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 again, you know, maybe I can't take away anything from what he did. And what I like about the book is he's not pushing what he did on anyone else, right? He's not suggesting anybody try this shit, right? He's not He's not saying, look at me, I did it, you can do it too. I mean, he is to a certain extent. Well, basically he is. He is saying, because I mean, he, says, he says on the very first page, um, and because I'm always listening and driving, I never get a chance to really write anything down. But what I do know, when he says, you know, don't stop when you're tired, stop when you're done. This is the origin story of a hero. The hero is you. It's you. And throughout right. the entire book, he does actually call on you to say, hey, you make a change. You do this. You, 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 you. And I he's not saying do a million push-ups, though. That's all I'm saying. Exactly. So that's why once I was able to read and listen more, I also began to think that this may not also be the best book to discuss because I have clearly come to the conclusion that I am no pampered princess. I have obviously lived a life that a lot of people have not because I look at things and I say, that ain't nothing. Okay, well, doesn't everybody? Well, didn't everybody get smacked around? Come here, shut up. I know you can do it no more. Didn't everybody? So I said, you know, is that bad? Is that abusive? Is that so 
clearly I am desensitized to violence and trauma and things that happen because there are so many things that he talked about that I've seen myself. And I thought that I was fairly sheltered growing up. So I thought that these things that we're talking about happen to a lot more people than obviously what than what's happening. So when he takes those things, world. Absolutely. So people are getting fucked up daily. So <laughs> when we're discussing things and I listen to this in more parallels than I do in concrete example. So when I see him doing those pull-ups, I don't see the pull-ups per se as much as I see going out here in the rain and sitting through the rainstorm watching your child play a sport. You know, everybody's not trying to do that. Everybody's not trying to sit out in the elements in the cold or the rain or go through something for somebody else. When I see him talking about running these marathons, I see pushing through some years of something you didn't particularly care to do, but you need to do to feed your family. So I see this book as the... The recipe for anyone who just needs to do it. It's a just do it book. It's a just do it. So it's also almost like every other book that we've read. Because at a certain point, you're like, okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, we don't have to have 72 examples of how you push yourself to, uh, to the limit. But, you know, it was... It was good. But this is how you push past if you find yourself having a limit, right? Like Yes. You know, right. It's it's a it's a push past your discomfort and come out on the other side. He talks about uh, uh the power of the forty percent rule and he believes that when we feel like we reached our limit, we actually tap into forty percent of our potential and the <laughs> other sixty percent is there for us to access. If we're willing to push through the discomfort and keep going. But, but dog, that's, I mean, I, I hate to say this, but that's what makes the book funny as hell is because he starts off talking shit about scientists and what researchers say, but then he's using all these facts to, to verify what he's saying and, and these different things. That's that funny shit. I just, I just thought that was hilarious back and forth throughout the whole book. But, uh, and I hate to take away from the point you just made. <laughs> you, you have to also understand that he is a Navy SEAL, right? And right. that was one of the first <laughs> things when I was joined the Navy that I learned about Navy SEALs. The human body is capable of way more than we thought it was. Like, we could sure. do way more. I've seen those guys do some things that I didn't think that was humanly possible. And sure. do it while laughing. You but, know what I mean? But so, that's the thing. I, I, I believe that where we are and that's what makes people people and the world the world. Because there are so many things that I'm not even interested in doing. At no point do I want to hold my breath for 10 minutes. That's like seems asinine to me. But there are people who wake up 
and that's what I want to do. That's what I want. I want to be able to swim at the bottom of the ocean and do these types of things. And that's what makes the world go round because everybody has a place. And I don't want to glaze over the fact that you just said earlier that this book is a lot more than just pushing your body to its physical capabilities it's your mental capabilities definitely it's your when your son has a project due the next day and you know everybody has to stay up something you can't go to sleep book it's a you know mamas ain't the only people who can cook dinner and stay up all night and get ready for thanksgiving Mm. book yeah well he he talks about callous in your mind like at a certain point of the book. So keep your mind. mind to like a certain hardness. It's a, you can do it. You can, hey. everything that you need to do, your body, your mind is capable of winning. Yeah, your mind, your mind can stand up to the situation. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and my mind is telling me I'd rather blow a nose and get up in the middle of the night to, to deal with a crying baby that I have to fucking jump off a boat in the middle of the ocean in the middle of the night to take mm-hmm. some orders when I got pneumonia and don't know where the hell I'm going and just swimming for the hell of it. Like, that is ridiculous. But some people live for adventure yes. and then he got addicted to that feeling of overcoming because probably somewhere in his childhood he was so resigned to losing that those wins were giving him something else it was making but it was also losses in the hurting past. him yes how many I mean, marriages he was did he go through I, mean, I, don't, I don't i don't mean to say that yeah but, I mean, but that and but that's exactly where i was going with that i think he a lot of things suffered in that way but you know, he talked about his first marriage and his first marriage was kind of a mistake anyway. And I, I say that in, in the sense of he alluded to the fact that it was toxic from the very beginning because his her father was the one who called him a nigga. Yeah, saying you and, with no niggas. Yeah. And... So he kind of, so he has a habits or I don't know, a, I don't don't know if I want to call it a, whatever we're going to call it, but he finds himself in situations where he tries to prove these things and he, he had to prove his worth by getting this girl that the dad didn't like him and he just did it and ended up marrying her. At his own detriment. It's almost like the poor guy that goes into the store Mm-hmm. And they follow him around, and then he pulls out a wad of cash and he buys everything just to prove that just I just to it. prove that mm-hmm. I can, you know, just to prove that I can. So he does that, and it doesn't work. Um, and then he even tries that one again because yeah, uh, a second time. You know, he he tries to to make that work again, and um, and then he finds someone who we think it should work out with because she's a nurse, but she's also pointing out to him, hey, you're killing yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't work. But I think it the book ends and he's in another relationship. So maybe since he's on his journey of healing, that will. You know that'll work out for him. Do you, you don't think he yeah. um, he eventually got there once he got to the uh, the yoga teacher? 
I think that that's, I mean, that's why I say on his journey of healing, because I don't, I don't think that you can ever stop these things cold turkey because they become a part so much of who you are. Um, that it's, it's a little bit harder to, to let go. Was it me or did you guys notice how he was trying to bring up racism in a palatable way? Like, so at the I beginning mean, when he was talking about it at his school, when they called him nigger, and then he was kind of like doing a discussion in the between discussion was saying that, you know, racism is going to be there. There's nothing we can do about it. We just got to move forward, blah, blah, blah. It's, it is what it is. It's a bad thing, but we can't let this hold, hold us down or uh, have the poopy pants mentality. Yeah, but I think that that's but the then, tone of the entire book. I thought it was really poignant when he didn't make the SEAL team because they told him that he didn't hang out. And they are who they are, and they say some things, you know, that they didn't I mean, want to offend. He him. never, he he never denied that racism existed. He's just saying mm-hmm. you can't waste your time fighting it. All you can do is Letting kick white people's you. ass. Like that's that was his mentality. I can beat these white boys' ass, and and I might can't yeah, be racism, much. but I can do more push-ups than he can. Exactly. Like I, I can beat whatever this challenge is, no matter what it is. So if it's racist white folks, I got him. If it's these push-ups. It didn't serve him anything. Teresa kind of spoke to that earlier. It mm-hmm. just highlight the persistence of systematic racism and its impact on individuals and communities of color. And his story show even when you're highly qualified and capable you can still face obstacles and barriers to achieving your goals simply because the color of your skin. And that can be demoralizing and frustrating and can lead to feelings of hopelessness and despair. Moreover, the burden of having to constantly prove yourself and overcome these obstacles can take a toll on your mental health and well-being. That we be saying if, when, and can. No, it's if. No, it's will. No, you will face obstacles. No matter what the hell you do, you're going to face obstacles. That's the bottom Mm -hmm. damn line. (laughs) That's true. But I also believe that that wasn't just race. That was not just race. Um, in that instance, I mean, we're, it was clearly race when he was a nigger and this, 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 that was race. But, It is a part of, because I think that, you know, when you're in the good old boy system, there's plenty of black folks in the good old boy system. Um, they, but you get along to get along. And I think that his personality was just not a get along to get along person. He was not social, oh, socially not. adept to yeah. be able to be that person that, you know, was in the locker room Yeah, so he did not fit in and people don't trust you when you're that lone wolf. And when you have to be in a unit like that, you got to be like, I trust this person with my life. And if you're not all in, you can't. They're not going to. You're you're not a part of the group. Yeah, you can't be. If you can't let me tell these racist ass joke about black people. I can't trust you, black man. Well, it wasn't really that, Donovan, because when they were saying their jokes, he had jokes, and he fired his jokes back. They ain't like oh, his true. jokes. You know, I hmm. was curious about hmm. what his jokes were, 
But he was saying, like, you know, he noticed that they could dish it. And he was like, yeah, and I could dish it too. And But when he dished it back, they was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll feel good coming another way. Right? Yeah. yeah, but you got to make them feel good because they're in the majority and they hold the key. But only in certain instances are they the majority. Globally, they're my, they're the minority. Well, and 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 this uh, area that he wanted to go into, they hold the majority and they can keep it. That's that whole, and that's why I said this this whole talk, Roger that, and blah blah blah, and that whole blah, 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 that whole tone that. was very <laughs> white boy. That's we we're going out here and uh we might kill a couple of deer, drink some beer and throw it across the back of the truck. Woohoo. That's that's the whole I mean, tone. You know what's deep about that though, Teresa, is he talks about like the time when he wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. Right? He he talks about the time when he was trying to be everything that he thought being a cool black guy was. Mm-hmm. But isn't that stuff all just all American stuff they're talking about? Isn't that just the American way? Well, he, he he switches it up. He switches mm-hmm. it up. He's a character, which is more know? of a reason to buy into that whole trying to find myself and outside of all of I've, what I've been through. Who am I? Um, with within all of what I've been through. And I still don't think that it was a complete story. So he left he left a lot unknown. I mean when he's when he's trying to be the hard kid in high school, I mean, could he have been the lead ROTC guy? Would it have been the same story? Would it would it would have got him on the same trajectory where he got in there faster? Had he just been in ROTC in high school versus trying to be the basketball player and dealing with that foolishness? I don't know, man. I, so I, I think, think that's where... You know, he wasn't ready yet. Only, that, yeah, only that's if my he point, had like, some I type think, of uh, mentorship and leadership. Because remember, like he said, he had that teacher earlier on, that nun, who was like no nonsense, but was getting him together. And then he lost that. And then that's kind of pretty much where his academics failed. So maybe mm-hmm. if he had... If he had that in in any of those instances with the basketball or with the um, the ROTC, I think maybe he would have probably excelled a lot quicker. Um, but he may never have wanted to be that extreme if he had not saying. let his his life get to how he allowed his life to get. Yeah, he may he may have never um, had those endeavors had he just been regular. Had he just been a regular good kid out of high school, quote unquote, and just regular found himself into being an officer. I don't know. I think so. I don't know. I don't think he has any regrets. Uh-uh. I don't care what you believe in. Doesn't matter. I'm not judging anybody. But let's say my thing is God. You get to heaven. I'm 300 pounds. I sit down, and we're sitting down just like this. You're God, and I'm David. And he gives me that chart, and he says, "Look at this." Now look at this chart, and on the chart it has all these different things, but my name's on it. But these things aren't me. I was going to change the world. I was going to set records. I was going to be a Navy SEAL. I was going to be honored here, honored there. And I'm like, God, I was, this isn't me. Like it says David Goggins, it says all these things. And God goes, no, that's who you were supposed to be. My biggest fear in life is that there is a final resting place in this world. You talk to something 
much bigger than you. I don't want to sit down and have a conversation with someone that says, you're in heaven. This is what you should have been on earth. He was in a lot of extreme fucking sports, though. Like the thing in Hawaii, the Iron Man thing. Yeah. And like he, I think he really kind of handled, um, I never I heard know. that bike. He handled was talking ad- about adversity and failure, I, I think, kind of well. Like when it, when it actually hit him, like, oh shit, I didn't actually win. Like, I think he did all right with that. Who's to say? I guess. I, I think the other uh, part of this book that I thought was kind of funny is that um, he always got into things. And had no idea what he was really getting into. And I was almost saying to myself, could you stop it, please? Because it's almost like everything. He was like, oh, I'm going to do bad water. I'm going to do such and such. And all I'm going to have is protein drink and, you know, some Ritz crackers. And and I'm going to wear my regular (laughs) tennis shoes. And I was just like, dude, are you serious? Because I... No, and I grew up um, in Birmingham for the most part. And my mother used to tell us all the time when it was freezing outside, she used to say, don't wear tennis shoes. They'll freeze. I thought she was crazy. And I would always be like, whatever, mom, whatever. But this dude gets out here and I'm looking at him. He's like, oh, it's going to be, you know, 20 below. And he's running in regular I mean, that's and that was like that was like his downfall in a sense, like his arrogance to 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 Every not prepare, time. yeah, like not not prepare properly. Like every I th- time, so like, I, think I, I had to say to myself, you know, is this I've a part of the stuff. lesson too? Shit, you know, is, is this a yeah, part man. of the lesson of you know being prepared plus, or is it that? You don't always have to be prepared and you can still be triumphant. I mean, I don't know. No, nah, I mean, you got to take the time to read the instructions and, was, and know what it is you're going But it would just into. be so many little things with him. And I would, it was, it got to the point where it was kind of humorous to me. I could see where it wouldn't be funny if he was my brother, my husband, or my daddy. But it was funny in this book. <laughs> um, but he just constantly kept getting into things that just he was not ready for. <laughs> That's funny, Teresa. Stupid ass. What do y'all think about prepare? some of these challenges that he had? <laughs> what you mean challenges? At the end of his talk with yeah. um, the other guy, at the end of the talk, when he was like, hashtag can't hurt me, hashtag blah, 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 hashtag blah, blah, blah. Um, I thought I mean, that... Multiple streams of income. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, I think that it made I it practical. Was I think it made it practical. I think that if you are using this book as a tool to get you from one place to the other, I think it was uh, absolutely genius. Um, but you know, if you're just reading the book just to be reading the book, it, you know, it's unnecessary. It's good marketing. I would give it a an A for effort. And anybody who's journaling it out, you know, and using it, it's it's a good tool. Did y'all enjoy the writing? Yeah, I enjoyed the writing. It was was okay. It had some things. It had some. This is some Roger that. Yeah, it had its moments, but it's just it's a bad It wasn't hard. 
Was it banger? Mm-hmm. Stranger? All right. This There's is the part of the podcast where we have our Maybe. lip bars. <laughs> um, Teresa, did you have any lip bars? I gave you mine. Would you like to hear them again or are we good? Yeah. 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 Okay, because yeah. I kind of mentioned yeah. earlier yeah. that um, yeah. since I spent most of my time, time in the car with these Beat books, um, the very Beat first thing that stuck out to me was when he said, don't stop when you're tired. Stop when you are done. This is the origin story of a hero. The hero is you. Okay. Donovan, do you have any lip bars? I do. Um, Let me pull it up. Once you realize life is going to fuck you up one way or another, you can prepare for it. I thought that was apropos. Mm-hmm. Harvey, you have any? Yeah, that, uh, Donovan, that was that was my first one. I got that in bow. All right, so let's go with these. I got a bunch. Here we go. Uh-huh. Um, why am I here? That was that was one of his centering questions. That's you know, the question you a, ask yourself every night online. That's dope. That's dope. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> the tickets to victory often comes down to bringing your very best when feeling your worst. Life is one big mind game and you're playing against yourself that was deep um once i was so focused on failing that i wouldn't even try a lot of people do that one right um as a leader the more you think about yourself when you're going through hell the harder hell is going to be being an overachiever makes people look at you differently (laughs) oh no are you hurt goggins do you have some sand in your pussy <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that one. They were a callous mind. <laughs> a callous mind can't heal broken bones. Hmm. To live in a brutal world, you have to accept the cold-hearted truth. Here's one: old school knuckle draggers. <laughs> yeah. It all sounds doable when you're sitting on your fucking couch. <laughs> um. Goranimalistic. I don't know if that's even a word, but he said that a couple times. Goranimalistic. Um, <laughs> don't go from zero to a hundred; it'll jack you up. Um, finding some comfort will help me heal my vagina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, Roger that. Um, this was deep when he was talking shit about therapy. He was sick, but he did say, use accountability coach or a trainer as kindling. Um, he said, I've been training for life, not ultra racist. <laughs> and then he said, uh, guys were nut the butt jackhammering. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, he said that a couple times. Guys will, guys will be nut the butt jackhammering. <laughs> they had to stay warm. Uh, you know, nut the butt. <laughs> it's not that bad. Um... Don't be afraid to fail. Embrace it. Learn from it, and use it to your advantage. The only way to find out what you're truly capable of is to push it, push yourself past what your perceived limits. Taking souls is all about pushing yourself so hard that you break the will of your competitor. I like that taking souls shit. He was all I you like got to do is just last one second 
longer than your competitor. He's like, and but you, you can't go around trying to take everybody's souls in every situation. No, you just you just can't go around taking everybody's souls all the time. Nah. <laughs> your soul snatchers. Overall, we had to rate this book one through ten. Donovan, I'm gonna start with you. What would you give it? I think I give the audiobook a seven. If I read the book, I'd probably give it an eight, though. Wasn't okay. that bad? It's, he he kind of had a, a general flow. Um, he was like Teresa said, extreme, and like I kind of, I don't know, like I got two psych doctors here. I got a psych degree, not a doctorate, but like it also makes you think about like, is there some kind of self harm aspect going on here too? Like a little bit of dual diagnosis, couple axes thing going on, but I don't know. Overall, I think he. Uh, he did a great job of uh, expressing his message, which was, you can overcome this and just keep pushing through. Callous so, yeah. your mind. Mm-hmm. Harvey, rate this book one through ten. I'm going to give it a strong um, eight and a half. I mean, he's he's not trying to be politically correct, first and foremost. But he's not trying to offend. But I think his language and the way he s- explains things is gonna it's gonna leave some people. Um, but that's okay. I mean, it's just the way it is. Um, I do want to say this, man. He said something that I just thought that was so profound in this book. Um, he talked about um, his theology and his belief that there was a God, and he said that you know he believed that God knew everybody's um end and guy had a you know book of life if you will and he said that um his biggest fear was was meeting god and finding out that he didn't live up to the expectation that god had for him so finding out that he was supposed to be this 185 pound navy seal and he died this 300 pound um um exterminator but what was deep was I thought that was dope. I was like, damn, like that's 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 strong. But again, his crazy ass keeps pushing, right? And he goes, I don't want to stop there though. I want to make it so that when I get to heaven, you know, I live a life so strong that God has to keep writing past what he's already written. And I was like, this motherfucker, wow, man, he didn't lost his mind. <laughs> yeah, but that was the it. hardest shit I've heard, man. I was like, okay, that. This is this is some I got a two on that. He said he wants to live a life that's gonna make God pick up the pen and write more. I was like, okay. Salute, mm-hmm. David Goggins. You're all right with me, bro. I just wanted to say that. I also love right. the uh I, I love how like those clips that be on IG and his motivational speeches. When he speaks some truth to it, when he says, when you get up in the morning, he said, even him, when he get up in the morning. There's so many things in his head that tells him, man, why the fuck am I doing this? I can get back in the bed. I can run later on. I can do this later on. Then when you start like, oh, it's too cold outside. My mind goes through all those things too. Like, so it's not even just the guy who does it every day. You know, it's not just you just, just starting. It's with the guy who does it every day. The guy, the girl who gets up that has to train, they hate it. I was remember watching one documentary on uh, uh, Usain Bolt. 
And he was talking about how every day that he has to train, he thinks about quitting. Okay. And he always looks at his life and be like, why am I doing this? You know, I could be doing some, so many things. Why am I doing this? Well, we know why he's doing it. I mean, Usain Bolt was doing it because he was staying in tip-top shape to be a competitor. No, this I'm saying that's the conversation that he would have. I know, yeah. I, I know. And I think, though, I guess because of what Harvey said and just staying the course, though, of where you are. Because there are times for him... When he's questioning himself, he should have been questioning himself because everything needs to have an end game. And are you training to stay in shape or, you know, what, what is your end goal? Because that's where you always need to land. What is my end goal? And I think for him, and that is the only part, because I guess that's going to lead to me and what I think about the book, because you go last, right? So, um, (laughs) just the extremism, because I think I've already stated that I 100% agree with him and where he is because I relate to him definitely not in a physical way, but in a mental way, because I always tell myself there is no other option. It's going to get done and I have to do it. So mentally, this book works for me, but it also has to be done in a way that you're not doing too much for yourself or other people where it ostracizes you from society. Because if you're getting up and you're training like this, but you're training for nothing, what exactly is it that you're doing? You know, Teresa, I asked myself that question. Um, When I used to go to the gym and I see people training and they have like regular nine to five jobs. Mm -hmm. I used to say, are you training for competition? Like what's, what's going on here? Like, are you trying to lift cars? They're probably training for to maintain. It comes it becomes an addiction. It does become an addiction and and that word in itself is negative. You don't want to be addicted to anything and we all need to be healthy. So we all need to have some form of exercise, but when we getting up and doing this to ourselves every day, then it becomes excessive and and like you said, it does become an addiction. So It brings me back to how I rate this book. I want to say seven and a half, but I'm going to say eight because I get it. If we take eight completely, if we take away all of the talk between him and his homeboy, um, but I can appreciate where he's going with this. I can understand what the premise and the concept of this book is outside of your physical capabilities. And I 100% agree with um, finding a way to reach your uh, ultimate potential. Cool. Uh, There's three things that I do want to address before I get my my final thoughts about the book. Number one, did y'all pick up on him mentioned about Christian Beck. Yes. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, SEAL. Yeah. So was a Navy SEAL uh-huh. and then decided to transition and become a woman. But just super honest and open. And it's so odd because he used to be this badass dude with a beard and now she's got fake boobs. But looks like a man. Yeah. <laughs> like dresses like a man. Like, yeah. full, like I don't think is like really trying hard right. to look like a woman just looking like herself. Yeah, he knew all the people, dog. He he was he he knew yes, all the people. Yeah, he was hell, he went through school with uh with the American yeah. sniper. He went through buzz yeah. training with, with them. Christian Beck, uh, I did a little research on her, and she is she speaks out heavily against children having early surgeries, ginger changing surgeries. She said because that's something that's final, you don't know yet, you don't know what you're about to go through. So you wanna at least push that option off to later on in life as a transgender woman. There's actors, there's athletes, there's everybody saying being transgender is is great because you have a better life and you're not going to commit suicide because of these surgeries. And now these children that did this really young, they're getting older now. I look back on my life and I see how I destroyed everything in my life. Uh, The second thing is that um, he doesn't have a lot of friends in the SEAL community. And I think that is a byproduct of racism. They purposely kept him off of certain SEAL teams because he didn't blend in. So it's a it's a it's a, uh, a mixture of racism, implicit biases, and you know he was probably that guy with the extreme personality. And when you're that person with the extreme personality, and you're all the way bought in, almost like a robot. You don't fit in socially. It's like that cute dog that's super cute all the time. Nobody wants to be around that guy uh, or that girl that's super whatever because you're you're leaving out the social element. And because he was never truly placed on a SEAL team, he he was perpetually in training and in recruiting. So he never went on any missions. And finally, the last thing that I did want to say how uh, his perception and the way he's received by the true seals, which which kind of pushed him out to do something that that's career suicide to go from a seal to try to be a ranger. You know, he knew that. He took that risk and he still didn't make it. Yes, he did. He was a ranger. He was not a. Um... Not Green Beret. It was the other one. He became a ranger. He just was not able to become a member of the, the whatever the, the Army's the unit Air, is. The para, I thought it was the, the Air Force. The Army is a ranger. What is it? Pararescue rangers that he wanted to start off with. Okay, yeah, I, I thought he didn't make the elite team. He did not make. He didn't was, make the elite special forces. He was the uh, U.S. Well, Army Ranger. He was the Air Force tactical air controller trainer, but he never made that. He lost because what was it that he that they, he thought he that he was going to, and he lost uh, yeah, each time because of he always and you know, and that was the other good thing that he does, and I try to do that as well. Every time you do something, go back and do a recap of what worked and what didn't. And that way, the next time you're presented with it, you'll know how to do it better that time. The next time. Delta. Delta Forces. Delta Forces. Yes. Okay. But that is a Ranger, though. It's an Army uh, Ranger Delta Forces. Remember G.I. Joe? Because then there's a Green Beret, too. I know. Oh. But that wasn't what we were talking about. I want to leave off with this. I'm going to give this book a... 
a nine. Okay. Everybody doesn't have a life story. Every Joe Blow doesn't have a life story that's worth being written about and worth being read about and discussed. I think his life story and I think his achievements and I think what he has turned himself into the new person that he is today is um, is a story worth telling and a story worth examining. And, um, and I think we did that. So I'm going to give this book a nine. So with that being said, Donovan, what is our next book for the readers? Well, in total juxtaposition to this uh, hyper-masculine manuscript, we're going to be reading uh, All Boys Are in Blue by George M. Johnson. Okay. Tell me a little bit about that. How you pick that? Um, I think I saw that. I saw the author a couple of times on Twitter, like talking about um, just uh, I think like gender issues. And then I was out and about a couple of weeks ago, and I saw him in a club, and I said, like, "Hey, aren't you an author?" He's like, "Yeah." Is like, this your book? And he's like, "Yeah." I was like, "We're gonna do your book for my podcast." I said, like, "Okay, cool." That's cool. That's how it happened. All right. All right, you guys. Thank you. You're tuned in to the Bruz Bookshelf Podcast, where we read the books and let the content drive the discussion. Listener discretion is advised.